This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. Monday's usually joined by the great EJ Raddick. You can catch him on the NHL Network from 4 to 6 Eastern on NHL Now. How are you, sir? I am good, Don. How are you today? Good. There's so many places I want to go. There's so much going on in the National Hockey League for sure, but... I don't want to tug at your heartstrings. I know you're definitely biased when it comes to anything Bruce Boudreaux, and so am I. I think he's just a wonderful human being. I think he's a really good coach as well. But can you just even put into words or have an opinion just how this could be so poorly mishandled by the Vancouver Canucks? Well, you know, Don, at the end of the day, it just goes back to the beginning of when he got there. The owner hired him, and it was before that he hired Jim Rutherford. And I think Jim was under the impression that Bruce was coming in on a, like a one-year deal through the end of last season. And the deal actually was a one plus one. It was a little more complicated. It was a club and individual option. So they both had to kind of sign off to come back for this season. And Bruce had a terrific uh, run there in Vancouver. And the fans loved him. And the team made a push for the playoffs after a really bad start. And... Uh, you know, there was a lot of excitement in the area. Like, hey, we got to, these guys are moving in the right direction. Bruce has done a great job with them. We got to get Bruce back. We got to sign JT Miller, whatever. You know, that was the kind of the feeling in the community among fans. And um, Jim Rutherford, I don't think, was really ever a Bruce Boudreaux guy, no matter what he really says publicly. I think, the, I think his actions kind of speak for themselves. So I think he was in a position that he had he had two two options in in May or April when the season ended last year were that he could kind of just sign on to bring in Bruce back for the next year and that would have you know that would have made the, everybody in the market happy because they liked Bruce and they liked the job that he did or make a harder decision, which is like, you know, I'm running the hockey here, and my feeling is that we need to go in a different direction with the coach, and I really want to hire, you know, someone else. But at the end of the day, that would have been a hard decision to make. And Bruce, or excuse me, Jimmy didn't really have the wherewithal to make that kind of call at that time. So, uh, you know, I, I, from talking to Bruce, I work with him at the NHL Network, and we had conversations. I I thought it might be wise for Bruce to wait a little bit longer and to see, you know, there was a lot of coaching jobs open last year, and he was in a position to wait and not re-up in Vancouver and to see what other interest was out there. So, but, you know, but, but, but Bruce is somebody that, you know, he, he was connected to the market. He thought the team finished very well. His expectation is, hey, we're going to come back and, you know, we're going to we're going to finish the job. We're going to get to the playoffs next year and we're going to move forward because Bruce has known nothing but really a success in the NHL. I mean, he's had a six, I think it was 620 points percentage in his career. So bottom line was Jimmy Rutherford was never really on board with Bruce from the start. He brought him back because it was the convenient thing to do. We had him out of one year. It was kind of a win-win. If the team did great, well, he would deal with that after. If the team struggled, well, he could move him out and bring in somebody he wanted. 
And Jimmy really talked about it all year long. He was very critical of Bruce at the end of last year. He was critical of Bruce in training camp. He was critical of Bruce throughout the first part of the year. And, you know, you know, Don, being around pro sports and certainly being around hockey and the Rangers, and you've seen Lou Lamarole, the way he runs the Islanders and now the Devils, is the guys at the top of the organization don't openly criticize their coach before the season starts. And that was what was going on. So it was pretty clear to me, Jim Rutherford just, you know, Bruce Boudreaux was not Jim Rutherford's coach. And uh, unfortunately, the way this thing dragged out was was painful for everybody yeah. and unnecessary. I, I have no idea why. You know, the only thing I can tell you is that the schedule that the, the Canucks just completed over the last 12 games was pretty difficult. They played all really high-end teams, finishing with a back-to-back against Colorado and Edmonton, both of whom are playing pretty good hockey right now. They're both on winning streaks. So I guess when you hire a new coach, maybe you want him to be in a situation where he has a chance to succeed. The Canucks play Chicago on Tuesday. They do travel to Seattle, and then they come back and play Columbus. And in the rest of the schedule for them, their last 35 games or so, I think they have the third easiest schedule remaining. So, you know, that might have played into it, but certainly it could have been handled in a much more, uh, you know, in a, in a much better way, and that's, you know, that's where I, that's how I feel. Oh, and those, and that's what I was talking about when I brought it up, like how it could be handled so poorly. If you don't want him as a coach, you fire him, and then you bring in another coach. I mean, that's usually the way it works. And you know, growing up around the Devils organization, I mean, I remember when Jacques Lemaire was hired. We found out Jacques Lemaire was hired at the press conference, right? And even the Rangers, when they let go of Jeff Gordon and John Davidson, I mean, it wasn't like we heard rumblings. It wasn't like. Um, there was conversation. It just one day they were working and the next day they weren't. You know, that's kind of how I'm used to how good organizations do things, not speculation, having Bruce Boudreaux have to answer questions. And, and then Rick Tockett on TNT is uh, answering questions about whether he's going to be the next coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Like if you want to change coaches, you change coaches. And if you don't want to, you don't do it. But the whole the, 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 the last couple of weeks, I just thought it was handled poorly. It was, it was tough on Bruce. It was tough on Rick. It was tough on everybody. And I just think that part of it could have been handled way better. Whether you like Bruce or don't like Bruce, whether you want him to be your coach or not, that's irrelevant to me. That's up to Jim Rutherford and what he wants to do. But the, the two weeks of limbo is just no way an organization should handle things, period. And the last thing I'll say is listening to the press conference on Sunday to announce Rick, uh, I just found it really kind of disingenuous that – you know, Jimmy and Patrick Alvin would say we were reacting, you know, to the speculation. I mean, I don't know who was leaking that information out, but it wasn't the underlings in Vancouver. It was right. most likely, but it was most likely Jimmy Rutherford because you know the quid pro quo that goes on in the journalism business in the whole, and certainly in the sports business among people who were gather information is, you know, they, there's like, you know, you tell me something, I'll tell you something kind of, a uh, you know, a, an unspoken agreement that has gone on. And, uh, you know, in sports, it's, it's not as important in, in, in real, you know, in news and in real world stuff, it's a little bit more, uh, hard to, to, to take, but the bottom line is that, the, uh, you know, they were, that information just wasn't falling out of the sky. Um, so, 
Jimmy spoke a lot during the year. He spoke at training camp. He spoke early in the season. He criticized the coach and the coaching staff at the end of season presser last year, right out of training camp this year during training camp. So, you know, at the end of the day, Jimmy is entitled to have his coach that he wants. Um, but to your point, it would have been easier just to – really would have been easier just to, to not bring him back last year and just say that he wasn't your guy. But that would have yeah. – you know, and they were in trouble selling season tickets last year too, Don. And that was another thing. Like the fans, you saw the fans love Bruce, and Bruce had a lot of success there last year. And so it would have been a very difficult thing last summer to say, "Hey, we're not going to bring Bruce Boudreau back." So uh, yep. in the end, it's that's played out. It's unfortunate, but you know, Bruce goes about his business, the Canucks go about theirs, and uh, you know, Rick Tockett takes over a team that. You know, they're, they better, they're hoping that they get Thatcher Demko back after the All-Star break. That would be a big plus. Obviously, that was something that was really damaging to their chances this year. I don't know if Scotty Bowman could have done much with, uh, you know, two very, very inexperienced goalies and a defense that, you know, when you look at it, really is about three top four defensemen short uh, of really being a successful group there. So there's a lot of holes. We'll see uh, how things go for Rick and, and if Jim Rutherford could Jim Rutherford could start uh, maybe to fix some of them. Now you take a look at the Islanders, and they're only three points out of a playoff spot, but Pittsburgh's got two games in hand. Florida has now leapfrogged them for third place in the in the race for the wild card. And, and there's been a lot of speculation about if he wasn't Lou Lamarello, would his job be on the line, right? Nothing at the deadline last year, very little movement during the course of the offseason. And now the Islanders might be facing a second consecutive year of missing the playoffs. I look at it differently, EJ. Knowing Lou... I'm wondering, could there be a coaching change out on the island? Lambert had no experience as a head coach before. You know, you're looking to do something. Is it possible that there could be some sort of a shakeup with the Islanders, either Ledecky letting Lou go, or more, I think, more obvious to me is that maybe Lou, if he can't make a deal, could he change coaches? Well, Don, anything is possible. We just talked about the situation in Vancouver, so anything is possible. I don't, I don't see it. I mean, I think that Lou will try to do something to help his personnel between now and the deadline, like all the managers do. Uh, I think he just hired Lane Lambert. I don't think uh, the coaching is an issue. I think that, you know, like all these teams, they're, especially when you get a, a key injury, you know, it really, it really makes it hard for you. And Adam Pellick being out for as long as he has, He's a difference maker. All you need to do is go back to the to the bubble year that they went to the Final Four when we restarted the season in August. Um, in that year, Adam Pellick went out, and the Islanders' record without him for a long stretch was not good. And then in the bubble, he was healthy and played, and the Islanders went to, I guess it was game six of the Final Four before falling to Tampa. And following year they went to a game seven against Tampa so he's missed about 15 games but really struggled not that he is an integral part of that but uh, they've got to figure that out as well so that's that's kind of where they're at and uh, you know unfortunately they're kind of in a they're in a dog fight fight for a playoff spot now Florida I think Florida and the Islanders have the exact same record and so uh, it's going to be a challenge down the stretch for both of those teams, one or both of them, to try to, you know, look past Pittsburgh or Washington. 
Devils have turned it up again, and you know some of the other teams have created a little distance for themselves. So seems like maybe those four teams, Washington, Pittsburgh Islanders, Florida, you know, might be the teams, four teams for two spots for, but I, I, I don't know. I don't see, I don't foresee a coaching change. And, mm-hmm. you know, as for lose status, uh, I mean, I think that would be something that would be determined at the end of the year. Yeah. I would think, yeah, it makes no sense. This close, um, you know, just deep into the season, this close to the deadline to have upheaval. And, yeah, you, changing a manager usually happens in the offseason. I was just kind of curious about that because I brought it up on, on Friday's podcast and kind of just sniffing around And because, uh, you know, the Islanders just kind of been stagnant. I was there on Wednesday, the loss to the Bruins. But, you know what, everybody's losing to the Bruins, so you can't really look at it that way. And then the loss in overtime to Buffalo, and then they fall to Carolina. Just can't seem to get out of their own way. Um, watching the Devil game yesterday, and that was a huge win for them, and, and I thought uh, they've really found – it's really tough, isn't it, EJ, when you have this great start and you have this long 13-game winning streak and then things stabilize, it's almost more impressive to ratchet it back up again. You know, So now all of a sudden they're 7-1-2, and two, and they're almost as hot as they were at the start of the season. And um, I think that's even tougher to do sometimes after you kind of fall down and look like you've kind of the, – the, the carriage turned back into a pumpkin to then find it again. It's been pretty impressive for New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, I, I think even those, even in that stretch in December when they struggled, I, I thought they they carried the play in almost every game. I think you know they just weren't finishing when they where they were finishing earlier in certain situations, and the goaltending had slipped a notch. And so I think you put those two things together, and instead of winning three two, you lose three two. Now Vanacek is hot as a pistol again. I think he's won his last seven. And, uh, you know, they're, they're finding ways to, to come up with goals, and, and timely goals, and they've been unbelievable on the road this year. I mean, they went out on that five-game road trip, and uh, with the exception of losing in overtime in Seattle, I mean, it was just almost perfect. And even in that game, they scored late to force it the extra time and get a point. So, I mean, I think their play has been pretty consistent this year. I mean, the results have varied sometimes. You know, when you go for the first two months, then December was tough, and now January they're hot. But I never saw, like, a huge fall-off, Donnie, in play. I mean, you know, I'm, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I just think the Devils have been – they've been a pretty consistent group this year. Hell, yeah. You know, the eight straight losses at home was jarring, though. Yeah, that is. I mean, it's, it's kind of a, it's inexplicable when you think about the fact that they're so good on the road, why you would lose that many in a row at home. But it's, uh, you know, the young team still, and maybe at home, they try to get a little too cute. Things don't go your way. But, uh, you know, this is a good team. And if they get going, you know, they get the good gold thing, they're gonna, I mean, they're going to get a lot of chances. They're going to give up some along the way. I love watching them. I think they're fun to watch. Oh, they're 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 really a fun team, and another guy that's really fun. I mean, Jack Hughes has just been incredible for them. He's really coming into his own. He's staying healthy, thirty goals now, and it's not really saying a lot. As great as the Devils' organization was at times, they were never known for producing great offensive players or having great offensive players. I guess Patrick Elias is probably considered their greatest forward. But you go back to John McClain, Pat Verbeek, uh, Kirk Muller, uh, even even Jason Arnott, or even Taylor Hall when they had him in his MVP season. No one's ever scored 50. 
And Hughes is on his way. I mean, if he continues on this pace, he's going to be knocking on the door for a 50-goal season. And, and I know it's early, but in, and it's not saying a lot based on their history, but this might be the greatest forward this franchise has ever had. Yeah, I mean, what did Giante have, 48 goals one season? Yes, that was the closest anybody came to 50. Yeah, I mean, and you know, remember, they had Brendan Shanahan. He was a high draft pick, and he didn't spend a lot of his career with the Devils, but he started with New Jersey. And, you know, they haven't had, you know, throughout their history, they haven't had a lot of really high draft picks. And that's where those guys come from a lot of times. I mean, Jack Hughes was the first overall pick in the draft. He was a very... Highly thought of, highly sought after guy, and they were able to get him. And you know, the first year, I I still say it probably would have been better for him to be in college in his first year. But um, nonetheless, you know, he's moved on in his career. He's staying healthy now. He's really figured it out. Uh, I mean, he is just uh, a force. And again, so much fun to watch. He's one of these guys when he gets the puck, you get to the edge of your seat. I mean, he's a guy that can make things happen. And. There's a good chance he can get to 50 goals this year. And, you know, for those people who two or three years ago were asking me, I mean, do you sure think he's going to make it? Do you think he's going to be okay? I mean, I could only go by what I saw at that time, which was he was a dynamic player at his, at his level as a young person. And you would think he was going to figure it out. And, boy, he really has. He's a superstar in this league. And he's somebody I talked to. I talked to one assistant coach yesterday, Don, who said to me the exact words, I would pay to see that kid play. So that tells you a lot. No, he's he, he's he's really been special. And, and and again, getting back to the devil forwards, they've never had a 50-goal score. Gianta came the closest. They never had a 100-point producer. So he's on pace to do both. He's got 58 points. He's got 30 goals. They're just past the halfway point of the season. It'll be close, but he's so young. If he doesn't do it this year, he's bound to do it years later. And you're right, Shanahan was a star, but not until after he had left New Jersey. Um, and really one of the great moves in the history of the franchise, right? Him signing with the Blues, the compensation was Scott Stevens, right? I mean, that's one of the great stories in the history of the Devils organization. If I have the information correct, um, it was when you had to compensate for signing, and, and, and um, Shanahan signed with the St. Louis Blues. They had to negotiate compensation. And who was offered? Wasn't it like Curtis Joseph? And who was the I forward, do you remember? I believe it was Curtis Joseph and Rod Brindamore. Right, so then and, and you, you figure, you look at it, you, the Devils would not have gone wrong accepting that. Lou didn't want to accept it, and an arbiter awarded them Scott Stevens, only the guy that helped captain three Stanley Cup championships. Pretty pretty, or two, pretty incredible stuff. And Scott did not want to, from my understanding, Scott did not want to leave St. Louis. I mean, he had signed in St. Louis, left Washington, and he was very happy there, and he had a great, he only played one season in St. Louis, but they had a really good regular season, and they got bounced in the playoffs I believe by Minnesota, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly, but he was not that eager to leave, but in the end he did, and he came to New Jersey, and as you point out, the rest is history. It went really well. But, yeah, Lou, I guess Lou felt that they, they had a young Marty Berger that he was comfortable with, and so he didn't need a goalie, and, you know, he felt he wanted to, you know, that's, he wanted Scott Stevens, and that's what he ended up with. Yeah, pretty – it just uh... – Incredible. It's just the whole idea of the, the compensation. And the thing that, that, that uh, aggravated Scott was he had just signed there in St. Louis after his career in Washington and have that kind of quick upheaval. But I think it worked out for everybody involved. So that that was that, that was pretty good stuff. The story 
is one of the ones that's like, you know, that's one of the interesting lost to history stories because I believe, and again, I have to go back and do my research to be 100%, but I believe there was later, uh, a, there was later a, a hearing about tampering that the, that the Blues had tampered with Brendan Shanahan and they also, aside from getting Scott Stevens, I think they ended up getting drafted from the St. Louis. So I'm not, I'd have to go back and, and, and dig that one up, but it was, uh, there was, uh, there was a lot to that story. And in the end, it worked out really well for, for the Devils. Um, so much talk around um, the Rangers about making a deal. It's kind of weird now. They're they're at a type of their schedule where they're just hardly ever playing. Right? They they played Thursday. They played tonight. A couple more games this week, and then they go on a long hiatus after they play Friday. They won't play again until February sixth. So, um, just not a lot of time. It's a tough game against Boston again. Nobody seems to beat the Bruins, so you don't want to be overly critical. But it, it feels like they need to make some sort of a move. And we talked about it last week. I wanted to get your expertise on it. Timo Meyer seems like a great fit for a lot of teams, but how many teams could really dance with the money he's owed? Like, Does that really limit what San Jose can do and where they can move Timo Meyer if they decide to do that? Well, I mean, Timo Meyer's contract expires. And at the end of the contract... I believe he is like the QO off this year is a lot of money. So the, I think, and again, I don't have the figures in front of me. I think what you would do is you would acquire him and then you would try to, you know, sign him to a longer term contract at a different number, you know, so that you would try to mitigate against the cap hit. He's a really good player. Um, and he can help a lot of teams. I mean, I, I, I've heard his name kind of linked to the Devils as well because as a Swiss player, you know, the Devils have a couple of Swiss players in the lineup, most notably their captain, Nico Heischer, and might be a really good fit for the Devils as well. But, um, you know, there are, there are teams out there that could make it work, and it'll be interesting to see what the Sharks do. They're in a unique situation where they have some – they're kind of a little like Vancouver. They have some really good players that are still really good players that are on, you know, long contracts or big contracts, and, you know, they're trying to kind of rebuild – and uh, so they're in between, right? And, you know, they have a Carlson having, like, a, a career year, even for Eric Carlson, who's won a couple of Norris trophies. And, you know, his contract is such that it's hard to, to know if they can do anything with it just because of the cap circumstances around the league. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think Timo's name is going to come up. Um, the Rangers, I think, are in a position to maybe do something there. But, again, they've got to map out the big picture there. I don't think you're looking... San Jose's not going to, I don't think, wants to give him away. Um, I don't think he's, you know, a rental. I think if you want to get Timo Meyer, you probably want to get him and try to sign him. So that's, now you have to look at the big board of your entire roster and see where things are cap-wise now, next year, and then moving forward after that. Yeah, because it just seems like, and it, it's it's hard to place it, right? I mean, we've had... So many conversations over the years of trying to predict, you know, where teams are going to be. Like right now, it just feels like Boston's unbeatable, right? It just seems like you give them the cup now. Nobody seems to be even in their class. But we know that you don't award cups on January 23rd. You know, so all these teams, like who's going to make a deal? Who's going to get injured? So many things can change between now and then. But as we talk right now, it does feel like a lot of teams are going to have to do a lot of things to get into the same league as, as the Boston Bruins. 
I mean, uh, I, I, I think, uh, you know, again, I mean, if you go back to Tampa, right, like, was it four years ago now, Donnie, whenever they had that unbelievable regular season where they, I think they had 120-something points during the regular season, and they looked unbeatable, and then they didn't win a playoff game. They got swept by the closest blue jackets. So right. things can change between now and then. I love the way the Bruins are playing. Everything has fallen into place. And if they can stay healthy, and, you know, some people were even talking about a little bit of load management with some of their older players like Bergeron and Krejci uh, over the next couple of months. I just, I mean, they're they're loaded, and if they're going to be, if they're the same team in the spring that they are now, they're going to be really hard to beat. But you know, other teams are really good too. And you're in a seven game series; it's a it's a much different animal than when you're rolling to the regular season when you're playing different places, different nights. Sometimes you have you have a schedule advantage. Sometimes someone else has a schedule advantage. So it's a different ball game, and we'll see if they're healthy. But you know, everybody, there's teams that think they can win. I'm sure the Rangers think they can win. I'm sure that, uh, you know, Colorado thinks they can repeat. Uh, you know, Tampa probably thinks they can get back to the final. Uh, Toronto is, is thinking, hey, this is the year we're going to finally make a move and get out of the first round and make a push. Carolina, you know, has been closed. I'm sure there's teams all over that think they're either one player away. And there's a number of guys out there right now. And because the cap is tight, it makes it hard to make these things happen. But... You know, you know, we'll see. I mean, but to go back to the, the Timo Meyer thing quick, just I, I looked it up while we we're talking. He's, uh, you know, his contract expires at the end of the year. The QO number for him is high, but if you're going to acquire Timo Meyer, I think if it's a rental, I mean, for San Jose, the good news is they get that money off their cap, which is helpful for them, so they get something in that regard. And also, you know, they would probably be looking for some, you know, picks, prospects, whatever it is. But, you know, there would be several teams interested in him, and, you know, we'll see. All right, I know you got to run. Have fun this week, and we will talk to you next Monday. All right, you got it, Don. All right, thanks yeah. a lot, buddy. All right, that is the great, and I mean great, EJ Raddick with a lot of info on Vancouver, what's happening with San Jose. We still got a ways to go before we get to the deadline, but still worth talking about, right? Because really, you know, before you know it, we're already into the second half of the season. The All-Star break is coming up, and then, you know, it's going to be pedaled to the metal for a lot of these teams. You know, the Islanders, the Panthers are, you know, within a whisker of making the playoffs. You go out west, right now Edmonton is hot as anything. They've won six in a row. Colorado has won six in a row, climbed back into the playoffs, and Calgary is on the outside looking in, but they are only just uh, right now tied in points with Colorado. They're four points back of Edmonton, but they got a game in hand. Uh, Nashville's kind of hanging around three points back. St. Louis, four points off the pace. So, you know, you got teams that, uh, if we just kind of give that line of demarcation, St. Louis, Nashville, and Calgary outside looking in still can make it. Florida, the Islanders, you want to throw Buffalo into the mix. I think they can still make the playoffs. Draw the line there because I don't think Philly or Detroit. You know, with their goal differentials, going to make any kind of a run, even though Philadelphia is playing better, winners of six over their last ten. So you've got six teams on the outside looking in as we get closing out January that still have a chance to make the playoffs. What do those teams do? And if any of those teams can make a run, what playoff teams need to make a move right now, afraid of falling out of it? You know, Pittsburgh lost yesterday afternoon to the Devils, but they did earn a point. You know, what do they do to hold on? What, is, what can Washington do right now? Washington's played 49 games more than the other team in the NHL. So they're 56 points, certainly catchable, considering how many more games they played than everybody else. And, and in teams, 
teams like you know Toronto, what do they want to do to make sure that they get that home ice in the first round of the playoffs? As you just heard, you know, there's been rumors of the Devils being tied to Myers, tied to to Jonathan Taves in Chicago. So if they make a move, what do the Rangers do to counter that to kind of just stay alive to try to catch either New Jersey or Carolina to be able to win this division? I mean, there's just so much at play here. Dallas and Winnipeg going at each other at the top of the Central Division, both tied with 63 points. Uh, um, the, the Kraken just a point back of Vegas for first place in the Pacific Division with two games in hand. What does Seattle do to try to make the playoffs for the first time in franchise history? Just stunning stuff going on. A lot of fun, and it should be just an incredible run here in the second half of the season. Let's take a look at the games on the docket tonight. Just four of them, but all of them important in their own way. We were just talking about the Panthers. They're here at the Garden to take on the Rangers. Uh, The Panthers needing every game they can. It'll be the first of back-to-backs. They'll be at the Garden tonight. They'll be in Pittsburgh tomorrow. So tough for the Panthers here who need every single game. And as I mentioned about the Rangers, they're kind of just in hiatus right now. They haven't played since Thursday. They'll play Wednesday in Toronto. I'll be on the call for that one. Saturday against Vegas, and then they'll play again until February 6th because they're going to have their bye splashing into the All-Star break. So not a lot of games for the Rangers to play, trying to get themselves going. Maybe some practice time for a power play, power play that's been very stagnant. Islanders need a win tonight. They're going to be in St. Louis. Uh, they're going to be in Toronto, excuse me, to take on the Maple Leafs at 8.30 tonight. Dallas plays host to Buffalo. Buffalo trying to get something going here. Uh, they're 5-4-1 in their last 10, but they have won a couple of games in a row. As I mentioned, they've got 49 points. So they're five points out of a playoff spot, but they do have a game in hand on Pittsburgh. They sit right now seven points back of Washington, but they've got four games in hand on the Caps. So the Sabres still very much alive. So that's a big game for them. Uh, They'll be in Dallas uh, tonight as they're going to continue on the road. And then where does Buffalo go after that? Looks like they might have a couple of days off here before they play again. Then they're in Winnipeg. So it doesn't get any easier for the Buffalo Sabres. So uh, we'll keep an eye on them. And then also tonight, another big game, Calgary at home against the Columbus Blue Jackets. So the Flames, that's must-win time, right? You're taking on a struggling uh, Blue Jackets team. Calgary's got to get two points tonight, and that'll be the late game at 9.30. That's the... um, That'll be on ESPN Plus tonight if you want to check that out. So a lot of fun, a lot of hockey. It's going to be pretty incredible. Like I said, I'm going to be in Toronto on Wednesday, so I'll try to do a podcast from Toronto. We'll try to put something together there. I'm going to be at the arena all day between the morning skate, the Michael K show, so I'll be all over everything that's happening with the Rangers on Wednesday. And then Friday, I'm just doing the pre and post for the Rangers and the Golden Knights at the Garden. So we should be on track for Wednesday and Friday the rest of the week on the podcast. Need to get in touch with me at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct the best way to do that. We will talk to you again coming up on Wednesday from Toronto. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.